society, cosmopolitanism, individualization, and globalization. Um, tonight's topic is so fast changing that Ulrich changed it last week and gave me a copy of his lecture. And then he walked into my room just now and said, I've changed my lecture again. So <laughs> apparently, a few seconds ago, it was going to be called No German Europe. And it has a, a subtitle, which I'll leave him to explain to you, because he'll probably change it by the time he, he stands up and talks to you. But it's going to cover, um, as far as I know, uh, some important themes in his work on globalization and cosmopolitanism. And also, it will consider, to some extent, uh, the impact of risk in the anti of catastrophe, and if he's covering the broad contours of what we discussed last week, it will be looking at the anticipation of catastrophe with respect to, uh, to the euro possibly failing and the impact that might have on Europe and the consequences of that for the role of Germany and the rest of Europe working together. Um, the, that raises a number of ghosts and dilemmas, of course, which he will also touch on and address today. It promises to be uh, a provocative talk, as always. Um, I don't know whether he's made it less provocative or more provocative than the, 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 the copy that I saw over the weekend, um, but I, I'm very pleased to introduce Ulrich to you, and we look forward to his talk, and then afterwards we will have um, questions and answers, followed by a reception, and I'm also told to point out to you that there is a, there is a, a, a Twitter account, and the the account name should be up on screen behind us so you can, you can tweet during the lecture if you so wish. So let me introduce you to Ulrich. Thank you very much for coming. We're very happy to see you again. Thank you. Well, thank you for the kind introduction. Thank you for your coming. I think this lecture today um, for me is quite an interesting and challenging issue because you know talking uh, as a somehow even still German sociology on the topic of Europe I think um, is a special challenge even in the in the context of the LSE and especially Britain there are lots of difficulties in perception of Europe and uh, my special topic today is as um, Bridget just told not uh, German Europe and at the same time I try to uh, raise the question of an alternative model which I <coughs> call or name European Union of Democracies. European Union of Democracies. Uh, I changed my lecture because I didn't want to start with the way I always start, giving you the basic idea of, um, well, methodological nationalism and word with society. Methodological nationalism means that we are actually, not only in the social sciences, but in in our political and social thinking in general are pretty much prisoners of the nation state. Everything is, everything is related to the nation state. Everything good and mostly everything bad as well. Uh, democracy, the state of course, but family, class, everything is related to the nation state. And you cannot 
understand Europe and the dynamic of Europe from the point of view of a nation state. Actually, it is a completely false perception, I would say. And this is a big and huge obstacle to understand the problem we are facing now in Europe if you just think of Europe as a sum of nation states. There's a Germany, there's a Britain, there's a France, there's a Greece, and you don't see the interconnectedness and the way actually we have common laws, we have a common law system, we have common borders, uh, we have partly a common currency, and so on and so on. <coughs> so this was the first argument. The second argument is that Europe is at risk, and at risk means we are facing a catastrophe. And actually, my concept of global risk is about not about catastrophe. You have to make a clear distinction between catastrophe and risk, I think. It is about the anticipation of catastrophe in the present. Nobody knows the future. Nobody knows what's really going to happen in Europe. But we are in anticipation of a catastrophe. And this anticipation of a catastrophe is part of a political social construction. And therefore, it's a very important part of how we experience the European crisis. And it is one of the major forces, maybe the major force, of transformation of modern society. The anticipation of catastrophe is a major force of transformation. And I would say it is to the better or to the worse. It doesn't only have to be to the worse. It could be to the better as well, because spaces are opening. Political spaces are opening. And therefore, I think the diagnosis, the sociological diagnosis is very important, not being fixed to the nation state, but having the perspective on the European dynamic, which is very difficult, because we don't have a sociology of Europe in this sense. We only have a sum of nation state European sociology. We don't know what a European society actually is like. We have very few ideas how those interaction between European institutions and national institutions really function. And we have actually no real idea about the new inequality, which is so important, transnational inequality, which is so important to understand the European dynamic right now. Well, I just, those were the two long uh, theses which I want to make, and now I come to the different manuscript I worked out today. Um, actually, in a world at risk, Europe is more in demand than ever. But not the Europe we have, not the Brussels Europe, and not the Europe which is emerging in, as a response to the Euro crisis, a German Europe. We all are living and acting on the edge of non-knowing, of non-knowing, facing global risks. And this situation is full of dilemmas. Basic assumptions people lived by and the stories they told themselves 
about the future and the past collapsed. And the same is true with the political thinking and the sociological thinking and models as well. Especially since uh, 2008, when the financial global crisis came up, we still we are confronted with unimaginable economic dimensions of debt, which nobody really has explored so far. At least I can't see it. And I think it is, a, it is a, such a basic change in our economies, in our political and social systems, and our way of thinking, that it is really a fundamental challenge. These depths, these kind of depths, are unknown territory. And at the same time, we have to decide and react to it in a situation of global risk. I think this is an important background. I will not be able to uh, solve this kind of challenge because I'm myself part of, of the non-knowing. I will try to get, I try to uh, reflect on, not so much on the economic challenges, um, but on the social and political consequences of these new kind of debt crisis. I make my case in two theses. First thesis, when the euro fails, then the European Union fails too. This is what Angela Merkel and Nicolas Sarkozy are telling, and I believe they are right. This means the anticipation of the European catastrophe has already fundamentally changed the European landscape of power. In fact, it is giving birth to a political monster, a German Europe. Not long ago, it was still commonplace to speak about the cacophony in the European Union. Now, all, all, all of a sudden, Europe has a single telephone, and it rings in Berlin, and for the moment, it belongs to Angela Merkel. I have to say, this Germany is the best we ever had in the, in the historical perspective, not only from a German perspective, but I think from a more broader perspective as well. But it finds itself at the center of a German Europe, which was not on the political agenda. But no one can seriously doubt that Germany is having the say in the Eurozone. The reason we have a fiscal treaty agreed by 25 EU member states is that Berlin, Berlin wanted it. Desperate, impoverished Greeks are being told to do their homework by Germans. A member of the Greek government, which has to demand the most of its citizens, spoke of national humiliation, adding that Greece was laboring under the German boot. This certainly violates the sovereignty and it does not allow democratic choices to work. But it is tough, he says, when you need the money to survive. 
Not only has the power structure undergone permanent, a permanent shift, instead a new logic of power is taking shape. Remarkable enough, Max Weber included, you know, as a German, I always have to remain, to quote Max Weber once a public lecture, lecture especially in, in this context. I did my best now. Uh, even he, uh, 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 Max Weber said, and I quote him, even without any formal power of command, an empire state can exercise a far-reaching and occasionally even despotic hegemony. As an example, he cited the role of Prussia in the German Customs Union and the, state, the status of New York as the seat of the great financial powers. Germany's role in, cri in crisis-written Europe must now be added to this list. This is what the new power landscape of Europe at risk looks like. The grammar of power conforms to the imperial difference between creditor and debtor countries. Thus, this is not a military but an economic logic. In this respect, the talk of Fourth Reich is right out of the mark. It is ideologically founded in what I call German Euro nationalism. I explain this later on. That is an extended European version of Deutschmark nationalism, which was the key identity after the Second World War. In this way, the German model of stability is being universalized and elevated to the into the guiding idea for Europe. This signifies the general German tendency to universalize the particular. In order to make this a little bit better understandable for an audience which is not acquainted with the <coughs> German history, I have to unpack post-war German history a little bit. German politics after the Second World War was dominated by the principle never again. Never again the Holocaust, never again a German Europe. Actually, there are interesting enough many never agains, not only related to Germany, never again could be an ethical principle which comes, which is rooted in historical experiences and is projected to the future. So you could have a, a new historical ethics on never again, like never again colonialism, uh, never again dictatorship, never again uh, Fukushima, never again uh, a Euro crisis or whatsoever. And there are many never agains in relation to the German histories as well, but they are somehow combined and uh, have, a, have a common background. The German trauma is the depression, the uh, experience of the severe depression in the 1930s. This first world econ economic crisis was the background uh, for the Nazi regime, for its xenophobic terror, 
and the Holocaust. And the Second World War arose. That, that's actually there are knee, never, three never agains in, in German history, which are, do have a huge impact on the economic politics today. Never again in economic depression. I come to this uh, later on because it does have an implication for how Germany reacts to, or many Germans react to the Euro crisis. Never again a Holocaust, which uh, does have an important impact on the self-understanding of Germany and in its relation to multiculturalism and, and many other issues. And uh, never again um, a German Europe. I have to confess there's a literature on German Europe uh, which is based on fascism. There has been even, there has been even a, journal, uh, a journal, German Europe, on the basis of fascism. In, in the, as a, and then the theory was to, to develop a military empire in the European context, like the American Empire in, in, um, in the different uh, continent and the Jap Jap Japanese Empire in Asia. So actually, the, German, the, the term German Europe in the, in the German context has quite an ambivalent or even um, <coughs> uh, 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 well, uh, important meaning. The rise of a democratic West Germany was based on the economic, on what, uh, what is called in Germany the economic miracle. And the economic miracle after the Second World War was pretty much, was pretty much related to what, uh, what the success story of the Deutschmark. So actually if you ask what is the, the German nationalism about, it is pretty much a Deutschmark nationalism. It is concentrated on the Deutschmark as the key identity of success and the key identity how to solve problems and how to become a member of the, of the Western society and a democratic, uh, marked, economic, orientated uh, society. Um, as Thomas Mann, the novelist, puts it already in the 1950s, I quote him, we strive not for a German Europe, but for a European Germany. And exactly this distinction between a German Europe and um, European Germany was the basis for um, post-war politics in Germany. Uh, I come to this um, Back later, it is part of, of the next step, the unification or reunification of West and Eastern Germany, which uh, in this situation, again, the success story of Demark, Demark, Deutschmark nationalism was part of the self-understanding. And now, when I talk about um, German Euro nationalism, it is the extended version of Deutschmark nationalism to the European, to the European uh, scale. Uh, let me put it the way um, 
make a parallel between a formula uh, Ford uh, once used it, saying what is good for Ford is good for the world. Uh, the German Chancellor Merkel is saying what is good for Germany is good for Europe. And maybe even if it is a bitter medicine to cure Europe from its debt crisis. This is the reason why, <clears throat> or one of the reasons why uh, uh, the German government and therefore uh, the EU authorities are blocking the central bank, the central European bank, by floating um, um, euros into the financial system in this way, way trying to overcome uh, the crisis uh, of the European crisis because, uh, well, this is uh, this would never again, uh, would, this would uh, uh, hurt the principle of never again um, um, a deep a depression. So actually, because of, of this kind of stability model of German self-understanding and politics, which the Germans seem to, uh, which in the German perspective is so successful, there has been um, <coughs> a transformation, let's say, from the fluidity crisis into the debt crisis in Europe. There could be a different way, maybe there would be an alternative, but this is completely uh, uh, impossible because of the uh, German uh, blocking. How do we impose a norm of this kind? You withhold funds that are desperately needed, issue whaled threats, impose tough austerity measures, and assure that technocratic leaders are put in place. But the consequences are bitter. They are endangering and splitting the European Union. First of all, the, European, the German Europe provokes anti-German anti sentiments and protest movements all over Europe. The ghost of the past is back on the stage. Maybe even the violence on the streets in Athens was just the beginning. Even today, um, I, maybe some, some of you will know uh, the bailout is the bailout of Greece is part of the of the European decision making in Brussels. Uh, this is uh, actually a critical moment in the shaping of the crisis. It is expected uh, to pass, but nobody knows the exact, the precise conditions. The deal which is imposed to be passed would lend the country uh, 130 billion euro in exchange for cuts that slice the last little bits of flesh from the economy, including a 22% reduction in the minimum wage and 
150,000 public sector jobs losses by uh, 2016. Without the deal, the Greece will default by March. With the Greece, the country will sink into a still deeper depression with no end in sight. So uh, as the Greek um, minister, I think it was the um, minister of finance, put it, we have the choice between sacrifices and worse sacrifices, humiliation and still deeper humiliation if Greece should default and leave the Eurozone. Second, the splitting of, the Euro, of, of Europe is reflected in the new internal conflict between the Euro countries and the EU countries outside the Eurozone. Those who do not have the Euro and find themselves, find themselves excluded from the decision-making processes which are shaping the present and future of Europe. They find themselves degraded to unlockers and are losing their political voice. This is most apparent in the case of Great Britain, which is sliding into European irrelevance. However, thirdly, a dramatic split is also, is also occurring in the new crisis-torn center of activity in the Euro countries, a split between the countries who already or will soon depend on the drip feed of the rescue funds and the countries which are financing the rescue funds. The former have no alternative but to submit to the claim of power of a German Europe. Italy, perhaps one of the most European countries, is in danger of playing no further role in the shaping of present and future of the continent. My point is not just that the Euro crisis is tearing Europe apart. It is no doubt true, but the, true, but the crux of the matter is that in the process, the basic rules of European democracy are being suspended, or are even being in, inverted into the opposite, bypassing parliaments, governments, and EU institutions. Multilateralism is turning into unilateralism, equality into hegemony, sovereignty into the deprivation of sovereignty and the recognition into disrespect for the democratic dignity of other nations. Even France, with long, which long dominated European unification, must submit to Berlin's stricture now that it must fear for its international credit uh, rating. Germany did not seek this leadership position. Rather, it is, as Timothy Gordon Ash argues, a perfect illustration of the laws of unintended consequences. The invention and implementation of the euro was actually the price France insisted on pinning Germany down to a European monetary union in the context of German unification. It was a quid pro quo for binding the united Germany into a more integrated Europe in which France could continue to play the leading role. But the precise opposite has happened. Economically, the euro turned out to be very good for Germany. But this, this is really not acknowledged 
in Germany so far. It is very good for Germany because um, the boom of export of German products, uh, which would not, which was would be of course not the case if Germany um, came, uh, would return to the Deutschmark, because then the example would be Switzerland and uh, its problem. And it is uh, good because it is uh, Germany got a central position. Uh, to, the to, shaping in, uh, to shaping the future of Europe. Well, one has to be very careful not to essentialize and speak of the Germans, the uh, Greek, etc. There are huge differences between Germans and Greeks, and there are differences between German Greeks and Greek Germans and so on. And there are even Germans who oppose the German Europe which is in the rise. But part of the political and economic elites as well as the commentators in the German public seem to believe that the time has come to defend Germany against Europe, to defend the successful German stability, culture, and model of nat national, democratic, social market economy against the attacks of its jealous European neighbors who want to cure their budget deficits by grabbing into the German purses. Not very long ago, a form of reciprocal nationalism uh, was supposed to solve the problem. On this view, each state has the autonomy and the duty to settle its own financial problems. At the same time, every nation must recognize the sovereignty of the other European nations so that all of them avoid negative consequences of their economic policy for others. This view rests on three principles, equal rights, coordinated packages of measures, and mutual responsibility. To these must be added a fourth principle, the competence of the European Union economic policy must be not extended. This model of reciprocal nationalism collapsed. And actually, we don't have another model so far. It is, um, well, unknown water and territory in which uh, politics is maneuvering. Uh, no country, um, but no country is strong enough to put the others out of uh, this mess. And at the same time, it is becoming too clear how closely they all are now interwoven. If one state goes bankrupt, it threatens to drag all others with it into the abscess. I, maybe, it's, maybe it's a little too simple, but I like the metaphor of um, scrambled eggs to, signa to uh, sig signify what, what, Europe, what the state of Europe is actually about. Uh, if you try to separate the yellow from the white, you will fail. 
And actually, uh, we are still trying to separate the yellow from the white, not realizing how much uh, the interdependencies, these scrambled eggs, is part of the urology. Um, well, the never again post-war German model was actually that of a hyper-modern foreign policy. It was post-national, multilateral, economistic, extremely pacifistic in all areas, preaching interdependencies in all directions, everywhere seeking friends, nowhere suspecting enemies. Power was a dirty word. And hence, it was replaced by responsibility. This is still the case. Like a Biedermeyer console table, natural interest remained discreetly hidden under the heavy tablecloth into which the words Europe, peace, cooperation, stability, normality, and even humanity were embroidered. As I said, Merkel speaks of responsibility, not of power. And the rescue um, of how it is in, in German eyes of the debt mad southern countries is has its parallel with the way in which West Germany rescued the communist East Germany. Second thesis. What is really at stake today is not Greece's identity, but Europe's identity. The way out of the financial crisis requires a rethinking of Europe, developing a model about what kind of union we really need and want in the 21st century. I suggest the model of a European Union of Democracies. As I argued before, there's a danger of overemphasizing and oversimplifying differences, national stereotypes. And the danger is, too, that this blinds us to the reality and to the present, uh, which is really, which is so important to realize. Um, of course, I'm, I mean uh, the protest against, there's even a protest against the essential, essentializing and discriminating talk on the lazy Greeks. But the trouble with those stereotypes is that they can obscure the reality. And I think at the same time we could see the beginning of a new kind of sub-politics from below. Sub-politics from below. Today, one in four Europeans under 25 is unemployed. Better educated than ever, and nourishing high expectations, they are confronting a decline in the labor markets, triggered 
by the threat of national bankruptcy and the economic crisis. But it is not only that. In many places and cities, young Europeans have set up camps and made public protest against the neoliberal model, against capitalism, the self-destroyment of capitalism itself, and against the German dictate of authority measures, ignoring the level of suffering and the rising tide of poverty that is following the middle classes. And they are at the same time arguing and fighting for another Europe. The way out of this financial crisis faced by the Greek and the other European nations requires a decision about what kind of union we really want. There may be Thus, uh, the Euro crisis proves uh, the Europe we have now will not be able to survive in the risk storms of the globalized world. Indeed, the most powerful guarantee of its survival is the costs of its breaking up. Maybe this cost of breaking up the cause of turbulence and chaos Will, be even, will even prove sufficient. Nobody really knows. Yet if the Eurozone is to be more than a grim marriage sustained by the frightening, of it, of frightening chaos of its breakdown, it has to be built on something more positive than that. In fact, the question of how this enormous space comprising 27 member states should be governed if before every decision 27 heads of government, cabinets and parliaments have to be convinced this blocking has to some extent been overcome. Silently, de facto this self-blocking of the EU has diminished in the shadow of the new hegemonic structure. In contrast to the old EU, the Eurozone is de facto a community of two states. The, the Europe, the EU, the EU is de facto a community of two, spades, two speeds. On the one hand, um, the Eurozone, on the other hand, uh, the other uh, uh, European nations. In future, only the Eurozone and not the EU will belong to the avant-garde of Europeanization. This could represent an op opportunity for the urgently needed institutional imagination. There has long been talk on the economic government, for example, to just pick one of those concepts out. What is behind this needs to be fleshed out, negotiated and tested. Nobody really knows what it means so far. Sooner or later, the highly controversial Eurobonds will also be introduced. I would say Merkel is going to make another of her famous terms um, sometime in the future. The German finance minister Wolfgang Schäuble is already arguing 
for the introduction on a, of a tax on financial, financial transact, transactions, which in the larger EU would founder would founder on the British veto. Actually, here a conservative government, a liberal conservative government, is picking up a basic idea of social movements and trying to not only in a rhetorical way, but making it happen, first of all, in the Eurozone, with huge implications, I think, for many other countries. On the other hand, the national self-delusion rests on the assumption that there could be a return to the nation-state deal, that, that actually we could do it alone. The Germans could do it alone, the British could do it alone, the French could do it alone, even the Lux Luxembourg could do it alone, or whoever. All have the illusion of doing, doing it alone. Thus everywhere we hear the uh, lament that uh, Europe is a faceless bureaucracy. Europe is uh, demisating democracy, and Europe is undermining national diversity. There may be much that is right in this criticism, but it becomes false once it takes as a principle principle. No democracy without a nation. This is methodological nationalism. According to this nation-state logic, a post-national Europe is necessarily a post-democratic Europe, which implies, conversely, more Europe is less, means less democracy. This argument is false for a whole variety of reasons. And one can use it to show quite clearly how blinkered the national vision is. The main reason is first it, its proponents fail to appreciate that the route to democratic Europe cannot be identical with the on pursuit by the national democracies. Even the concept of democracy that serves as a standard for European Union must be a different one. Because the EU is made up of democratic states, but it is not a state in the traditional sense. With this, it becomes questionable, second, whether the models of democracy developed for the modern nation state can be extended to the European Union or whether different post-national models must be conceived in order to confer de democratic legitimacy on European politics. The question then is, how is the democratization of national democracies in Europe possible without disenfranchising the national parliaments? Assuming that one can recognize that implementing democratic rights involves and requires many parts arms, channels, and guarantees, supranational, transnational, national, or local, can the democratic empowerment of a cosmopolitan Europe be accompanied by a strengthening of its national democracies in the member state? I think this is indeed possible. The constitution of freedom is based on the rule of law and parliament. But it needs a third pillar. And this is, um, and this is uh, the name of the European civil society. Or more concrete, or in more concrete terms, doing Europe. 
As President John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy once astonished the world with his idea to create a Peace Corps, by analogy, the EU, the EU and Germany could surprise the world with the insight and, and initiative that the Euro crisis is not just about economy, but about democratization of Europe bottom-up, about a national about national dignity and self-determination, about a political, about a political and cultural space in which the citizens no longer confront each other as enemies uh, who have been disenfranchised or fleeced. A space in which doing Europe bottom-up could become the antidote to a Europe without Europeans. Create the Europe of the citizens now. Let us campaign for a European year of volunteering for everyone. For taxi drivers, for nurses, dentists, industrial workers, journalists, students and pensioners as a response to the Euro crisis. The talk of an enlarged and deepening, the talk of enlargement and deepening would as a result acquire a new meaning. What would have to be enlarged and deepened would be the democracy in Europe. Such an autonomous civil, civic practice providing basic funding not only for Europe's unemployed youth but also for everyone, would doubtlessly cost a pile of money, though only a fraction of the many zeros which have already been swallowed up by the rescue of the banks and the states. And we should ask, should and have to ask the economy in Europe to finance their share of this, Europe's, of this European civil society. Have no fear of direct democracy. Without transnational opportunities for interventions from below, without European referendum on European issues, which sent a shudder through the ocean liner Europe, the whole enterprise will fail. Why not elect the president of the European Commission directly in an election involving all European citizens on the same day, which would therefore be which would therefore create a European public and vote maybe for the first time. Let us create or think about creating European parties, giving European issues a strong voice in the national and in the European public spheres and parliaments. It may, makes also, might also make sense to appoint a new constitutional convention, which this time would confer democratic legitimation on the process of transformation of the neoliberal Europe into the European Union of Democracies. At stake is the opposition of a social human reason to self-destructive risk capitalism, the kind of opposition which the philosopher Ernst Bloch once called pacifism of strengths in contrast to a pacifism of weakness, 
which he described as a familiar mixture of lemonade and platitude. If one really wants to spell this future infringement out in, German, in, in European terms, then the Sarrazin sweet formula of European dialogue is not sufficient. We have to speak in terms of Europe of the citoyen, the citizen, the Staatsbürger, the Burgermannschapti, the Kuide Dano, the Opi Wedel. I lost a lot of different concepts of the burger from different uh, political cultures in Europe. Thus, of the antagonisms hidden in the unifying formula Europe of the citizens. For it is, well known, well, it is a well known fact that each of these natural cultures' key concepts stands for a different path to political modernity, hence for a different historical horizon of experience and memory which to this day profoundly shapes the understanding of democracy, the political institutions and cultures of the European nation states. Only a model of Europe that acknowledges and appreciates the national dignity and the pride of the nations, the pride of the other nations, and that is a cosmopolitan Europe, does have a chance to win the minds and the hearts of the people in Europe. What should the new model of European Union of democracy look like? It should include, I just give a few aspects, it should include the following. The concept of the national is often perceived both in public and scientific discourse as an obstacle for the realization of cosmopolitan ideas. Consequently, debates about a nation revolve around the persistence, revolve around its persistence or demise. I depart from this either or perspective by investigating into the formation of a cosmopolitanized, of cosmopolitanized nations in the Europe con context and elsewhere as a facade of virtuous society. This reimagination of nationhood evolves, among other things, in the, in the context of global norms like human rights, globalized markets, climate change, migration issues and flows, and of course the financial crisis or the euro crisis. It is not one-dimensional, it is not about everyone becoming a cosmopolitan, it maybe even create the different reality of anti-cosmopolitanism as we have it now in, in Europe. Neither the nation state enlarged nor the single nation state is a solution. Rather, the European Union of Democracy needs an institutionalized cooperation on the basis of, a cosmo on the, basis of the cosmopolitan imperative, cooperate or fail, in order to develop the institutional imagination, I think the Europe of two speeds, as we have it already de facto, 
is necessary. The Eurozone will be the avant-garde for new institutional models. Like, for example, the Tobin or Robin Hood tax on financial trans transactions, which should go to Europe, not to the nation states, which could and should go to Europe as a basis for financing new um, well, new elements of, of Europe. One of those elements is uh, that this tax could enable Europe to develop the vision of a social Europe for the workers. The workforce must be able to see that the social securities of the national welfare states are not only being dismantled, but also being rebuilt and maybe extended via Europe. And there are some components of the democratization of the national democracy. A European vote for a European president or doing Europe financing um, European year of volunteering for everyone. This model differs significantly from Europe becoming a nation state writ large, as it is in the model of the United States of Europe. I think the, United, the model of the United States of Europe is, um, is going to fail because it tries to overcome uh, the national identities. It, is, it creates actually a kind of war inside of, um, inside of uh, the European community, the European Union, the nation states and, and the European institutions where either or uh, between the one or the other is the main, is the main uh, conflict. Um, and of course, this model would be an antidote to the German Europe acknowledging the national dignity of the others. Let me summarize my argument. I try to show how the principle of never again, based in the history of Germany and the experience of German unification has shaped the mentality of German business and polit political elites in relation to European politics in, in, and in their reaction to the Euro crisis. I tried to ask what kind of power is exactly evolving. My answer is the power is hidden in the new German stability model, which is universalized and therefore affirming a general German tendency to universalize the particular. How do you impose a norm of this kind? You withhold funds that are desperately needed, issues veiled threats, impose tough Austrian measures, ensure the technocratic leaders are put in place, etc. 
The reactions are collapsing economies in Greece and elsewhere, governments fall, real incomes fall, unemployment surges, protests, riots, feeling of humiliation, humiliation anger and resentment, resurgence of nationalism, anti-German sentiments, particular in Greece, but not restricted to it. There are lots of uh, negative, very sinister scenarios. I, um, I say, well, you just have to read the daily papers and look at the evening news. It is very difficult to find a way out of, out of the crisis, and it is worth uh, for intellectuals to look for this, even if, if it is not a very easy and not may, maybe not even very convincing way. I would say uh, one of the possible ways out of the crisis is um, looking at the new kind of sub-politics from below protesting against the neoliberal model and the German Europe and arguing and fighting for another Europe. As I like to call it, without really giving it too much details, uh, a union of, a European Union of democracies. This is a counter model to the top-down Europe the Europe of elites and technocrats that has prevailed up to now. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. Well, we said he'd be provocative. I think he has been. Um, I'm sure there are many questions. Who, who would like to start? Yeah, Don't be shy. Hello, good afternoon. Um, um, I work and, st and study here European, at the European Institute. Uh, what is the, the basis of this argument of, of Europe of two speeds? It is because some have the euro, so it's of economic nature. It is because some uh, have to be more leadership in this cosmopolitan, new cosmopolitan idea of Europe. It is um, for the sake of avoiding some kind of blocking, for example, for the UK, which, which is the nature of the argument for saying that two speeds of Europe is beneficial. Well, thank you. There has been, oh, maybe this works as well. There has been a long discussion if there should be a, a Europe of two speeds. And actually it has been neglected because so far, um, uh, so far actually the, con con the convincing idea of Europe was that everybody has to agree. But I think this is a mechanism which is one of the self-blocking mechanisms of a Europe of 27 governments and um, Parliaments and and all the different actors. It is if you if you look at democracy and if you look at the history of of states, actually, uh, never there has been a consensus between so many different um, actors on the political uh, on the on the political scene. If you if you 
realize how many opinions um, you have in the evening on your own, in your own family, on family and political issues. And if you think about how many different positions you find in yourself in relating to many issues, I think the idea of, of creating a consensus between 27 nations, governments, and etc., is uh, failing in a situation where we have uh, huge um, uh, where decisions have to make in, 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 a, in huge speed, in a, in, a, in a context where flexibility is needed and, and where huge um, uh, threats uh, are being anticipated. So I think actually um, we need a Europe of two speeds, otherwise uh, Europe will not survive. And my argument is that this is happening without actually being, being realized so far. It is the um, difference between the countries which have the euro and those countries which do not have the euro. And my uh, prognosis is that the countries which don't have the euro are getting under pressure to make, even in this constellation, a vote pro-euro or get somehow out of the circle, the, the closer circle of uh, European uh, avant-garde of developing European ideas. And I think uh, the case is, for example, Poland and other East German countries who are, I think, going, want to, well, we have to find out. At least I have the impression that there's a discussion going on if they shouldn't join the euro. Uh, other, other situations in Denmark, where they believe they, which is Denmark as the president of, of the European Union now, where they believe they shouldn't um, join the euro but still have a vote in, in the eurozone. But I think this is going to be difficult. If you, if you look at the permanent meetings of <laughs> European governments now, they always have a split. At the beginning, there's an official meeting of all European states. And then when the real matter comes in, the, uh, uh, the non-Euro countries leave, leave the table and leave the, um, uh, the meeting. And then the real business is being, is being discussed. And I think to some extent, uh, uh, this, even if it is a product of the, of the, um, of the well, imperialistic structure, it is something which has to be considered as a new, uh, of, as a new way of, of for, for new alternatives, like, for example, uh, the tax uh, on, on uh, transactions, on financial transactions, and like many other, um, maybe creation of a, of a social Europe. You have, to, you have to know that there's, for example, an opposition against Merkel to some extent in the Green and Social Democratic Party, even if they vote in favor of, of the Merkel um, uh, uh, proposals. I think they would, they would try at least to get a little bit more of a cosmopolitan Europe, and they would maybe use this development to open up to, to, different, uh, to different options. Uh, of course, this is an open, open question. But uh, since um, uh, the Greens and the Social Democrats, uh, Democrats are, uh, while well, having some 
perspective of, of maybe leading the next, forming the next government, this could be a, a, maybe a realistic option as well. Uh, thanks, Professor Beck, for that uh, important lecture. Uh, my name is Dennis. I'm a student of international development. Uh, to address the issue of uh, financial speculation, the, the financial transactions tax, do you think that uh, a financial transaction tax instituted in just Europe could hope to be effective absent some type of a global agreement that captures other financial hubs incorporating the United States, etc.? Thanks. This is actually one of the main issues in, in global politics now. I think the time is over when uh, the um, um, when pointing at there has to be um, a global uh, consensus on on those kind of ref of reforms was actually a way of blocking those reforms. I think this time is over because uh, I think there's a, a larger belief. That you have, that you if you if you take this position, you're never going to have a, um, a reform. This is actually the position to give a legitimate uh, background for voting against this kind of reform. And I think this is being realized more and more. And it is at the same time, I think realistically, if you look to if you look to uh, politics, um, I did this to some extent in my book in, on on uh, cosmopolitan Europe. That it doesn't have to be this way. They have to be always pioneer countries. They have to be powerful, and they have to have a circle of, of implementing it. And then, well, some people join in, or others don't. And then we find out what it really, what it really means. But I would say that, that in relation to to the British situation, well, it can be, of course, maybe valued differently. But I would say, being not part of the circle of the Euro countries. And maybe even voting for some, to some extent to leave uh, the European Union. Um, it, is will, it will not be the experience of, of an empowerment. It will just the opposite, the experience of a depowerment. And even in domestic affairs like uh, it's a so important uh, financial sector in in London because the decisions in in this relation are going to made going to be made in uh, in in the eurozone and uh, well the British are not going to be asked anymore they can be against it you know this is what I find very interesting um, you only have an important and powerful voice in Europe even if you're against. Europe, even if you are skeptics, uh, European skeptics, if you are part of the European Union. If you're not part of the European Union, nobody cares. You can be against whatever. So actually, this is makes, makes, makes the empowerment of the nation state, even, even in the skeptical and anti-European way, uh, clear. And I think this is, I think, one of the dilemmas uh, the British politics is facing. Of course, you could say, if the if the um, if the eurozone introduces this tax, uh, it's it's going to have um, uh, well, people are leaving the eurozone and going to British to the British conditions. But I don't think this is going to be the main the main issue. I think, to me at least, I think 
this tax issue is a symbol how and if national politics can solve transnational problems and can be reinvented by cooperation and therefore make things possible which seem to be impossible uh, so far. And uh, this, the text is actually one of those, those tests for this, for this situation. Yes. Thank you. There is a question at the front here. Hi. Um, if you could, as someone who believes in the European project, um, do you think the euro was a mistake or you know, was it implemented too early or could things have been done differently? I mean, we're, we're, now that we're here understand. and we have you know, foresight. Sorry, could you repeat it again? I just didn't yeah, Sorry, understand. I mean, do you, as someone who believes in the European project, yes. do you believe that the euro and the way it was implemented was a mistake for the European project? Yes. Yes, uh, well, um, <clears throat> um, often those who are skeptical about Europe and especially about the euro underestimate the cleverness of those people who introduced um, the euro. It is, for example, said that actually there will be no political institutions to manage the consequences. Of course, and they knew it, because the history of, of European progress, so to say, is the history of, of crises. Uh, Europe is another word for crisis. And whenever, whenever crisis happens, there was an invention of a new institution, a, a step forward. I think this uh, could have happened in, in this situation as well, but it was somehow blocked. Maybe the situation was more complicated than, that, than this. Maybe the Germans didn't want to go with this. I'm not quite sure about it. But actually, uh, when Kohl, Helmut Kohl and, and uh, Mitterrand introduced the euro, they knew that there are going to be all kinds of crises. And they did it because this is a mechanism to, um, to uh, enlarge uh, the political competence and institutions of the European Union. And therefore, actually, it's a huge criticism in Germany. The, the old Chancellor Kohl is always calling for the background, you are threatening my project, and don't, don't make this turbulence. Just go ahead and in, uh, in, in not just saying there has to be a debt crisis solved by those kind of measures, but do it as, as I did it, by just offering new alternatives. And, and so this, is an, this is an important background, actually, for, for the German discussion, too. Anybody else? That was that whole thing. Right. If we just have one from the middle. Oh, yeah, middle yes. yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm just... I'm struggling to, um, to see the exact, exactly what the differences are between the European Union of Democracies and the United States of Europe. Um, they seem quite, quite subtle. Could you, um, could you elaborate on those, please? Yes. <clears throat> well, I think this is actually, uh, to me, one of the most important issues, as I try to show with my new name, with my new naming. Um, uh, if you look at the situation in Europe, we mostly have what I call a Europe without Europeans. We have an elite Europe. We, um, uh, there has never been really an attempt to take uh, the Europeans on board. And therefore, uh, this situation um, really is, is a huge background for the crisis. 
And therefore, I think, uh, on the one hand, it is necessary, of course, to think about institutional uh, designs and measures uh, to uh, cope with the euro crisis, maybe economic ideas and political ideas. But this is not enough. People are got, got lost in the European in the European project, and people have to take have to be taken on board. And I would say this is um, there's a, there's a misunderstanding, a self misunderstanding of the European project. And this self-understanding is that Europe is actually an enlarged nation-state, or should be thought of as an enlarged nation-state. And then, of course, there is an either-or between the national democracies and the European democracies. And there is an either-or between the European institutions um, and the national governments. And, and so on and so on. There's always an either-or. I actually thought about this for many years and, and said, well, if we go this way, it's necessarily a conflict in which Europe is, is collapsing because you cannot see how, how this conflict is being uh, uh, really coped with. And my idea is, first of all, to think of Europe in a different way. Europe is not a nation. Europe is not a foreign country to the nation states. You know, this is the way we talk about Europe. Europe is the other. Europe is actually not Britain, not Germany. Europe is a foreign nation state to some extent. This is the national perspective. But actually, Germany and many, all the other European countries are part of Europe. They cannot be separated from Europe. They're actually, uh, well, internalizing uh, European law and so on and so on. There's no... Um, container, which na national container anymore, which just can be closed and then all problems um, uh, collapse. No, it is it is this combination, this new combination of of national and European institutions, realities, societies, and so on and so on. And then we have to realize that we have um, national democracies, and we want national democracies. And then we have to ask, what does um, democratization of national democracies, what could it mean? And there has to be something added. And as, as I said, I firmly believe that this would be an important issue, is to create a European civil society. Even the uh, people think that this isn't very important, but it is a basic uh, it is of basic importance because only if people are uh, able to do Europe in a, in a specific way, to participate in the creation of Europe, maybe criticize Europe, maybe have a, their own idea of Europe, then actually one big element of the uh, undemocratic nature of Europe could be at least renovated. And then there should be a lot of other elements, like I tried to uh, list in, in my lecture. But it's only the beginning. For example, if we vote, or it, it, as we did vote on the Constitution, maybe you remember the, uh, the Constitution, what names the Constitutions, forget about it. When we did vote about the Constitution, we did it on national terms. Every nation made its own vote. And not at the same time, but in, in, in at different uh, times. And this is actually a paradox. You know, how could you accept a national, how could you accept a European constitution 
by voting on national terms. This is actually, again, uh, what I call methodological nationalism. Mm -hmm. So what we should do, or what should happen to create a European public and to create a European democratic culture is to vote on one day on European issues. And then we have a European discussion on those issues. And maybe, maybe Tony Giddens is coming to Germany and arguing pro or contra this issue in Germany, and I'm going to Britain and going to, as I do now, <laughs> and try to argue in this or that direction. So there's a mixture of, of interventions. And this is a way of thinking about, of, about European democracy, creating, for example, parties which are not either or, but have a European vision and being active in different uh, national contexts. Well, maybe I'm, I'm too optimistic. Maybe this is the difference between a British and a, a German perspective on, on Europe. But I firmly believe there is going to be a, a lot of innovation in relation to those, um, to those components of a European democracy. It's going to be part of the discussion. It's going to be brought up by those social movements. And it's going to be, at least in Germany, it's going to be part of, of the future discussion, I believe. And therefore, it's important to take part and uh, be present in, 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 in those discussions. Um, Tony Giddens, former director of the LSE. I just didn't understand your answer to that question because what you're sketching out to me sounds like a United States of Europe because you talk of civic society, civil society. I mean, you have to build a civil society in the United States, for example. You talk about direct election of a president. Um, you know, that's what they have in the United States. You talk of national democracies, where you have state democratic elections in the US and so forth and so forth. So I think the question still yeah. stands, really. And, you know, when I've been thinking about it, I find it hard to see what an alternative model is now than some kind of version along those lines. So I found your answer a bit unsatisfactory in relation to the question that was asked. Maybe I have to confess I find my answers too very unsatisfactory. <laughs> that is maybe something we, to, we have in common. <laughs> it's something we have in common. I would love to be much farther than, than this, what I, I, I wrote, uh, pointed out. But, uh, of course you can name it this way. Of course it's, maybe it's a good way of naming it um, uh, United States of Europe. But I think you have to be careful because <clears throat> there's a difference between there are very important differences between uh, the United States, American uh, United States, and the possible United States of Europe. First of all, the United States, from a sociological point of view, actually, is, um, uh, is a, a country of migrations. So there hasn't been a history of nations which were settled in the, in, in, in the American context. You know, there's not like France and, and, and all the nation states which have a long history and now don't want to give up this history because actually um, the, United Nation, the, the United States of America uh, are in a very interesting way a cosmopolitan um, culture involving all different 
nations and religions, but being constructed as a nation, being constructed as a nation. And uh, this is possible because they come from all over uh, the world, and it's, it's not an either or between um, the existing national um, traditions and the um, uh, American identity. And you know it's quite a patriotism which they are um, uh, uh, using to create this, this diversity, to make the unity in, in diversity. I don't think, I don't see a, um, a, something similar in, in Europe. I don't see something similar in Europe. And I, I'm not sure if I should want it in Europe. Because I think actually what, is, what Europe is about is the plurality of political cultures, of very different traditions. And this is actually the enrichment what Europe is about. And if you st think of Europe as a nation or a nation state, then you're losing actually this, uh, this richness. Of course you have a, the, the second problem, how to, how to organize um, uh, uh, well, decision making and, and, um, and the different cultures and so on in, 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 in the European Union. I'm a little bit opposed too because actually all, as less, at least I see it this way, maybe it's, it's too simple, all the different nations have their project of the federal uh, of the federalism of the European federalism. Germans think it in German terms. There's supposed to be a federal uh, Europe like the federal Germany is. Uh, you know, there has to be different states as we have it. There has to be one parliament, one government, and then there has to be. This is what Joschka Fischer always tells. You have to listen to him. You know, yes, very, very careful. You have to listen to. Him. Then you have to have a, a second chamber where the votes of of the other states are being collected, and then they have a system of uh, of the 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 French are thinking of Europe in the French terms. You know, they they believe that this should be the French way. The British don't have an idea really of Europe because they cannot think of another way. Uh, than their own culture. So I think actually if we want to go ahead, if we not want to fail, we whatever we call it, we have to think how we could acknowledge the different national cultures and identities. I don't see a realistic way to get beyond this. Otherwise we create what we have now, this turbulence of, of national conflicts on Europe where nobody really uh, once you open anymore. Oh, now it starts. Question. Um, thank you, um, Professor. Um, I think your idea of uh, cr to create a civil, um, European civil society might be a remedy to the deficit of democracy um, at the moment we are seeing in Europe. But I still wonder because there are times when. Um, difficult decisions have to be made and, and, and I mean disputes that have to be resolved. For example, at this time, whether they are going to give the money to Greece or not. Yeah. But uh, under these kind of circumstances, how can this idea of European civil society or bottom-up democracy help? And what kind of, I mean, concrete institutions do we need, do we need to yeah. build up this kind of civil society? Thank you. Can we take the question behind as well? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my question is about uh, 
your methodological cosmopolitanism that I feel it's stretched from the nation state that we already have to the borders of the continent. We haven't talked about other countries that much here, especially the global south. When we talk about an enlarged, in my opinion, my understanding of the European community of democracies, an enlarged welfare state, it's also an extension of the previous question. How would it include or exclude other nations, the global south, especially in terms of migration? And is it still a fortress Europe or not? And then we'll take one more question over here. Thank you. Um, I have sort of some sympathy for your view of a community of um, democracies, but having seen the damage that was done to economies, and I instant Ireland, for instance, uh, from running a, that, that level of economic integration because, I, because of, of the way that interest rates were set and the damage that was done to Ireland. I wonder whether or not um, it would be feasible to preserve a democracy if you have a Eurozone type level of economic integration. And perhaps the way to defend democracy in Europe is to disengage from the Eurozone so that basically Greece and others are allowed to have a managed exit from, from the Eurozone and that Angela Merkel bails out the German banks and, and allows Greece to depart from the Eurozone and others in the most uh, painless way that is feasible. It, it will not be pain-free, but it could be made relatively painless. Yes. And I think that if we have enforcement of economic integration, and it is striking that the 26 were asked to agree to sign up to the 3% maximum deficit, even though they're not all of them in the Eurozone, that level of economic integration is, I think, worrying for people who have admired Germans' role in the yes. EU so, so far. Well, thank you. Um, um, Decisions have to be made. This is um, very true in its relation. We, we have it right now, a decision in, in behalf of the uh, Greece situation are being made now and they have to be made. I would say we have to distinguish uh, short-term and a long-term perspective. The short-term perspective, well, it is like it is. We, we, we could try, of course, to, to um, uh, well, implement a different uh, perspective in, in the German context, but it's very hard to do this right away. But it is this way, I think, because we don't have institutions in Europe which are capable of facing this kind of, of crisis. Because of this, this is a situation, the power, if it ever was in the European Union, is going back to the nation states. And since the nation state, uh, the most powerful nation state, economically powerful nation state is Germany. So it's, it's Germany to which the power is, is going. I think this is the situation we are in. And of course, uh, well, we can criticize this, at, and, and we may have to think about uh, different developments. But this is the case we, because we don't have something like a, a European economic government or something, whatever this means. Or we don't have a, a president which is, would be the address for, those, uh, for solving and coping with those crises in future. Therefore, I think the European Union, as we have it, does have a necessary, con uh, necessary to uh, tendency to, uh, well, to, to, re, um, 
to re-develop uh, into a nation state, into a national Europe. And only if we uh, like and want a different Europe with different institutions, I think this, this could change. And to win the people of Europe uh, as a, uh, for the project of Europe, of course it is necessary, it would be necessary as I argued to create what I, uh, what I call a, um, a voluntary a, a European year for everyone. This sounds quite, this sounds quite uh, idealistic. But I think it does have a chance if we, if we start this, this campaigning very, uh, very soon because somehow there is a feeling that uh, the Euro crisis is beyond the heads of, of the people and we have to do something about it. Of course, this needs new institutions, new resources, and so on and so on. But on the other hand, we have, as, as Tony Giddens said himself too, we have to think about the future model of, of Europe. And I would say, actually, it is, it is well, it may be happening already in, in different circles, but this would be uh, an issue um, for, I come, I come back to the Eurozone, um, to your question. But um, yes, I didn't talk about the Global South, and I think this is actually, uh, this is actually a mistake. Cosmopolitan Europe is not, you could, is not about, let's say, um, uh, a European nationalism. It's not about um, uh, a, a new kind of uh, just concentrating on Europe from the inside. It would be just the opposite. I didn't, I didn't talk about it, but uh, this would be a different talk. How to integrate uh, issues of, of the global south and issues, for example, which I'm missing very much in, in the German context at least, of the um, um, Arab Spring, the, the revolt of, of Arab Spring. To some extent, it was interesting because France and, and, and um, Britain did have something in common. And again, the Germans just, um, because of never again, and because, it's of a, because it is it's quite handy to just concentrate on, on your own economy, uh, didn't join this initiative. Though there could be, um, I think, even a unification of Europe to some extent on, on, global, on global issues, on cosmopolitan issues. But it doesn't happen so far. But it doesn't happen so far. Um, well, um, I, it, it looks like that the Eurozone is um, not capable of being uh, democratized because there are so urgent decisions to be made, and how could you how could you just uh, make it uh, democratic uh, those decisions? And we can actually watch this development. Um, the most important decisions are being um, made, most of all, beyond Parliament, are made, uh, as, as we say it in, in sociology, in informal circles, which are not really connected to, to those uh, um, issues of, of democratic leg legitimation. But uh, I see this as a, as a result of the situation we are in. And, well, M Merkel, again, I'm sorry to just 
always <laughs> talk about Merkel, but I think she is quite a good example in this direction. She makes a clear s split between having some democratic legitimation inside of the nation state, inside of the German parliament, in relation to the German parliament, but not having any legitimation outside of of of, uh, of of Germany, not thinking actually about the legitimation, just in relation to to of course the the European institutions, but not in relation to, for example, the Greek people. And uh, this is all in favor of your argument. But I wouldn't say I would. I don't believe that this is a necessity. Again, we have to talk about institutions which which open up uh, those spaces of decision making of participation, well, this has always been a problem, but I, my argument, I, to some extent, I would turn it around. Um, if we just think in terms of national democracy, we lose uh, democracy anyway, because many decisions are being made beyond the nation state in, in uh, transnational or informal circles and then being Im implemented on, on the national context. So the national democracy is not enough anyway. We have to think about enlargement of a transnational, maybe new institutions being, being again uh, created to, to open up those spaces of, of, of decision making. Thank you very much. Um, I'm conscious we've got to 8 o'clock and I know we have the benefit of a reception so we can carry on the conversation actually over a drink just outside. I want to thank you very much indeed for a very provocative talk. Uh, I know many people in the room will think you're a great optimist um, but maybe you'll be proven right. We will find out. Um, but we can carry on discussing this over a drink now and we'd like to all thank you very much indeed for, for coming and giving us such a stimulating lecture.